You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Hey, we're glad you're here. I want to jump in one little piece here before we get rolling. I want to talk about the turkey trip. Um, The turkey trip that's in June, which is actually a biblical Asia minor, not like we're not going to go eat turkey. Um, If you're on the fence at all about that trip, I really want to encourage you to go. Like this is Paul's missionary journeys. This is the seven churches of Revelation. This is, this is the New Testament. This is the book of Acts. This is like the early church and what they did and how we can walk that out. And so uh, this is something that's really, really important for your faith. And I, I just want to recommend, I want to invite you guys to come be a part of that. Um, you can find information out about, there's flyers on the info desk out there, or you can jump on our website and figure out about it. March 9th is the cutoff date for that. And so um, if you want to jump in, I'd love to have you come. Uh, it's just life altering. You guys know how hype I am on Israel. I'm all about Israel, loving Israel. It, if I had to choose today, right now, if I could only pick one to do trips in, I'd pick Turkey. Like it, it made that much of an impact in my life. And so I really want to invite you to be a part of that. It's just really awesome. And so we are going to jump into our second week of our worship series. And last week we talked about kind of what worship is from a kind of a big picture view. We talked basically about this. If you want God to sit down and take notice of your situation, your context, worship is the space that you create for him to do that. And so uh, we talked about that. And then we talked about preparation and what does it look like for us to come prepared. And I hope, I hope that that was at least in your mind this morning as you got ready for, for church service, that you came prepared for God to do something because he's here. Uh, did we come ready to witness and be expectant with what he could do? So today what we want to talk about is what does worship look like? And we're going to break down the mechanics of it. And we're going to have some fun along the way. Um, but here's the, here's the deal. I, what I want to do before I even tackle that topic is I want to wrestle with this question for a minute. Why do I have to come to corporate worship? Like I hear all the time, I can worship God in the woods I can worship God fishing. I can worship God out there hanging out with my buddies. Now, here's a question. Can you worship God alone by yourself in the woods? Absolutely, you can. Absolutely, you can. Can you worship God fishing on a boat with your friends? Absolutely, you can. I have a couple of thoughts about that. Number one, do you? Uh, worship, yeah, well, great, great, that's great. That, do you? Tell me all about this amazing worship service you had. Oh, well, you know, I was just kind of communing. I was just kind of sitting there communing. <laughs> but the other thought that I have about this is this. So last week, there was this really awesome halftime show and some really cool commercials, and somewhere in the midst of that, a game broke out. I don't know if you witnessed that. They called it the Super Bowl or something. I don't know. Let me ask you a question. Why are Super Bowl tickets so expensive? Here's why. Because there's a difference between watching it on TV and being there. Right? Like there's a difference between watching it. You watch a game on TV and some people are like, they're just watching it in their living room and they're pretty animated as if the refs could hear them and that as if even if they could, it would make any difference, right? Like some people really believe their voice matters in that moment. 
um, I just so you know, it doesn't. Like, don't ruin your own personal reputation in the name of a football game. But there's a difference between watching the game on TV and being there. There's a difference. Think about the kid that Justin Timberlake took the, the selfie with at the halftime show. So this kid is up there with his phone. JT, me and JT, we hang out. He, JT's up in the crowd, and he's bobbing through the crowd. This kid pulls out his phone, and JT totally takes it. Like, here's the thing. That, I bet that kid has a lots of friends, probably a lot more now, um, that were watching it on TV. They're like, oh, that's so awesome. Our buddy got a, a selfie with JT. Not as cool for them as it was for the kid getting the picture with Justin Timberlake, right? Like there's something about being there that makes it more awesomer. That's why there's, I don't want to get all technical on you this morning. We're trying to keep it simple. That's why there's scalpers at every football game because people are dying to get into them, right? Because there's a difference. There's a difference. There's some kind of an intangible camaraderie that happens when you're high-fiving people you don't know and when your team scores the big play and you hug someone you've never seen before. It's the same thing with corporate worship. There's a difference. There's a difference between watching it on TV and being here. There's a difference. There's a difference. This is why Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, here's what it says. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let me ask you a question. How in the world do I know how to consider loving you and spurring you on towards love and good deeds if I'm not ever connected to you? Like, how in the world would I know how to encourage you and inspire you if I'm not here connecting with you? Like, there's a difference. God shows up. Does God show up in my own personal worship out in the woods? Yes, without question, he does. No doubt about it. But God shows up uniquely when we worship corporately. And there's all kinds of examples of that. In the Bible, Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John get released from jail because they'd healed a, they'd healed a lame man on the way to the temple to pray. And um, they got released from jail. And they go and they find all their people together praying and worshiping. The ground shakes. Like, you don't see that without corporate worship. It just doesn't happen. You can say, well, what about the Philippian jailer? Yeah, Paul and Silas, they were corporately worshiping together. Like, and wait, there's all so many things I like to say about that. I don't have time. Listen, God moves uniquely. Does God move in our personal worship? Yes, but God moves uniquely in corporate worship. It's not an either or, but we need to make this a priority to be here, Okay. So I wanted to, I have a, we have a friend named Eric, and he, he's the, um, the head of a group called New Covenant Missions. They work with a lot of Muslim folks in Ethiopia. And so Kelly had this idea, it was a great idea. To, she said, hey, why don't you email him and see, because they got crazy stories. See if there's any connection to like their worship and God moving and doing things. And he sent me like, here's a video, here's a thing, here's a blog. I was like, I'm a little overwhelmed, but I wanted to, I wanted to read this one story for you from him. It's super powerful. It says, in November, I brought a team of Americans to witness what God is doing among the Muslims of Africa. There is so much bad news circulating social media and television, but it is truly satanic propaganda making us think that we're losing the battles. In the last three years, among the Arsioromo people of group of Ethiopia, our ministry alone has seen, have been a part of 3,000 plus baptisms of Muslims who've turned to Jesus. That's worth celebrating. 
When a Muslim decides to follow Jesus in this area, it can often result in incredible persecution from their families, which often actually leads them to turn back to Islam. Often they've confessed with their mouth but have not believed in their heart. So to deal with this, we pay to bring 30 to 40 of them at a time to a, 30 or 40 of them at a time to a secure load, uh, training compound where our Muslim background believers, which they call MBBs, it's pithy. Our Muslim background believer church planners train them in the, in the basic foundations of Christianity. They actually train them using the Quran for the first day to validate the existence and deity of Jesus. And after five days of training, they're asked again to confess Jesus and believe in their heart. And if they do, we baptize them. About 80% of them do. Some are not ready. These baptisms are always the moment of incredible battle in the spiritual world for their soul, and often we encounter demonic manifestations right as they're being dunked, which is exactly like our baptism services. <laughs> when that happens, we believers gather around and sing worship over them while the lead pastor casts out the demon and eventually through victory rebaptizes them. We sing song, worship songs of victory during these times and it really makes an incredible difference. In fact, when my wife and kids were with me, they started singing loudly, There is Power in the Name of Jesus by Kim Walker. The November trip had an added element to it, though. Before the baptism ceremony of 37 MBBs, we all sang worship from within the compound together, and the worship was loud and proud, and all of a sudden, outside of the gate, a passerby started manifesting a demon. Our lead team went out to her and bought, brought her in to pray over her in a back room. She was a lady no larger than 120 pounds, but four men could barely hold her. It was an incredible moment to see how just the songs rising up out of our compound caused the demons nearby to freak out. Listen to me. When you worship God corporately, the demons freak out. Like you want to put Satan on the defense in your life? Corporate worship's the space where we begin. This, this space matters. It matters that we're here. It makes a difference because God shows up and works uniquely in corporate worship. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some different pieces of corporate worship and what it can look like. And um, we'll explain all that as we move along. So the first piece we want to talk about is singing out loud. Ezra 3.10 through 13 says, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord... The priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord, according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and... Heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. And Second Chronicles twenty nine twenty eight says, The whole assembly worshipped, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded, all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. So we did already talk a little bit about this last week, and we don't want to beat this point to death, but I think we all at this point can agree that undeniably 
singing is part of corporate worship. And it has very little to do with whether you can carry a tune or not. It has more to do with what kind of offering of praise are you bringing. And we think maybe that's why the Bible says, just make a joyful noise. So the second piece that we're going to talk about here this morning, and I'm a little nervous about this, to be honest with you. We're going to talk about bowing down. This is like, I grew up in a super conservative church upbringing. We were part of the Frozen Chosen. We loved Jesus, loved his word, but we're, we were very, like, <laughs> reserved. Um, and so uh, this is one of those things that I'm not super familiar with, but I want to be honest about what the Bible says. And, and we're going to do what the Bible says, even if it makes me uncomfortable, Okay. Um, so anytime that I want to introduce a new point, uh, I want to inundate you with scripture. I want to overwhelm you with the amount of times that the scripture talks about it. So what we're going to talk about is bowing down. Now here's the deal. We're going to live in a tension with this. We'll talk more about this tension in a little bit, but how much is too much, right? Like how much bowing down is too much bowing down? We'll talk a little bit about that, but there's a couple of layers to bowing down. One is just simply the bowing of the head which is really what worship means. The word worship means to bend the neck toward. It's, a, it's a, to expose the back of the neck towards something else. It's an act of submission. This is what we do with God. We submit to him through worship. But the other piece is to get on your knees and have your face in the ground. And I think for some of us, when we come to worship, man, standing before God with our hands raised, that is exactly the best expression of where I'm at with the Lord and how I'm encountering him in the moment. Sometimes... I need to be on my knees with my face in the ground because sometimes worshiping God is hard. Sometimes worshiping God is invasive and like God has given you the, you know, the slap upside the head, the spiritual like, wake up, you're better than this. So I want to read some scriptures here real quickly. Genesis 24, 26, the man bowed his head and worshiped his Lord. Exodus 4.31, and, and the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that, they had, that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Exodus 34.8, and Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Second Chronicles 7.3, when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, for he is good, his steadfast love endures forever. Second Chronicles 20, 18, then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah on, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. You can go on and on and on and on. I love the Nehemiah 9 passage. It says that for the first quarter of the day, that's six hours, for the first quarter of the day, they read the law for six hours. And then for the next quarter of the day, they worshiped. Like, I love that. Sometimes we just need to get down on our knees before God if we're going to be honest about where we're at with him in the moment. The third piece we want to talk about is raising hands. And I know for some of us in this room, that is not part of what we were raised doing don't really understand it. So we thought we'd just show you this quick instructional video to give you guys kind of a clue what this is about. <laughs> okay, I have something to add to that video that just happened this morning. So I didn't really think through what I was wearing. And so I'm over here worshiping and I went to go put up both hands and almost covered my face with this. So then I was like this. <laughs> and then I was like, doing what is that so fortunately the lord the lord knew and he accepted it it was still praise of offering right uh. 
It was also an offering of praise. Yes, both. All right, so you guys, I want to read, um, it's kind of a, a big passage here, a story out of Exodus about raising hands, and we want to connect this with raising hands in our corporate worship setting. Exodus 17, 8 through 16, then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. I want to pull out one line from there. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. Why that picture? We need to remember that the Israelites are just coming out of Egypt. This is the only home that they remember, this particular generation. And in Egypt, there were huge, vast temples. And at the entrances to these temples, there were these banners that hung at the front. And as a breeze or the wind caught it, it would blow the banner back into the temple as if pointing to something else that was beyond that one needed to check out. And I love that picture, and I think it represents what we do a lot of times when we raise our hands. That is somewhat our banner. And it's not even so much the actual that I'm noticing I'm raising my hands, but that I and others around me notice past and beyond my hands to something greater than me. Another idea that Aaron has shared with me, and I've heard others also share this in why they raise their hands in worship is they're reaching out to their daddy. It's this child parent response. And I love that picture because isn't that what we are? Isn't that how he sees us? We're his little kids and he delights in us. And there are moments when we just reach out for him and it's kind of a reminder in those moments, I'm so small and I'm so thankful that you are so much greater than I am. I love that picture. I know one of the reasons why I raise my hands is I'm, I'm a feeler. I feel things deeply. And there are a lot of times when the words don't quite articulate what is in my heart. And it's like I'm coming out of my skin. And fortunately, the Lord can translate for me as I'm trying to, to really show him what I'm feeling. For me, that's a lot of times why, why I raise my hands. The last one I want to leave you with, the last idea about raising hands, it might be a little bit of a stretch, but I've been meditating on this for a while, and I think there's some truth to it. Aaron was sharing earlier about our friend Eric, who is on the mission field, and who has had story after story, and he does. He has so many stories about when people sing that spiritual battle is happening, and that they're winning, they're winning. And I think about this story about as long as Moses' hands were in the air, they were winning the battle. 
And you guys got to know that when we come in here on Sunday morning and Thursday night, we're doing spiritual battle, whether we realize it or not. And what do we get to do out of the gate when we gather? We get to sing. And it sounds like singing does things in the heavenly realms. And I just wonder if when our hands are raised, if we might not be winning the battle. Just a thought. So here's a question then. What if we're just, what if I'm just not, I'm not expressive like that. So, okay, so, you know, we talked about the people who watch the TV and yell and scream, like they're expressive everywhere. Um, Then there's the people who sit and watch the TV and they're like, I'm not expressive at all. And then there are people that go to the game and they're like, everyone around me is having a good time. And I'm like, yay. Yay, yay, good. We, we, we did that good thing there. <laughs> the quarterback just threw a home run. You know, the, uh, was it a grand slam? How do I know the difference? Um, it's one of those things where for, there are people that are just, they're just not. They're just not expressive, right? Okay, well, let's talk about that. Here's the deal. At a minimum, at a minimum, we can all sing. Really isn't about a good, good noise or bad noise. We're all called to sing. Everybody can do that. Everybody can do that. But I would like to invite us to maybe challenge ourselves. Remember last week we talked about the kind of praises that God wants to inhabit? That word praise is also translated insane. Now, maybe the, the insanity of the way that we praise, maybe that insane thing that God's pushing you to do and you're like, I can't, I can't, I can't. Maybe that is the very place that God is waiting to meet you. Maybe it's time for us to grow up in our expression of worship to God. Now, here's the deal. The, the immediate response then is, well, how much is too much? Am I right? Like, when, it, listen, you start rolling on the floor and barking like a dog, I'm going to tell you to knock it off because that's not biblical. That, there's no biblical precedent for that, right? It, and we're going to live in a tension here. I get it. We're going to live in a tension. For some of us, we're not comfortable at all. And for some of us, we're super comfortable being expressive to God because that's, I'm telling God I love him. How could you not be expressive in that way, right? We have people on all ends of the spectrum, and that is okay. There's a couple of intangibles here that I want us to land on. Number one, if you're standing next to somebody or near somebody that worships different than you, at a minimum, you shouldn't be looking at them with disgust. Like, oh my gosh, would you settle down? Ugh. That's not worship. I promise you, that's not worship. Right? Now, on the other side of this, we do need to respect that we're worshiping in a corporate environment, right? If in your own personal worship up in the woods that everybody seems to be doing, um, if that's where you want to worship... You want to do it up there any way you want to, you go ahead. But when we come to worship, we have to respect that there is a point where we go over the top. And now our worship is a deterrent to other people's worship. And, and where is that line? It's not clean. It's not a clean line. We're going to live in a tension there. What I want for all of us to do is to come in and celebrate the good of people's worship, not try to dissect it and pick it apart. That's where we're going to land. Okay, and, and we're going to figure it out. And are people going to try to go too far? Yeah. Are people going to try to go not far enough? Yeah, they are. We're going to live in this tension. There's a lots of ways to express worship to God. There are. But Kelly said something last week that I think bears repeating. There are lots of ways that we know that aren't worship for sure. One of those is showing up late. And I got to say, good job 
getting in here before worship starts. Good job. Not, not because I said so, you know, pastor said so I have to. Like, not that. It's not like this submissive church community obedience thing, but because you came ready, you came expectant, you prioritized your time so that you could walk into this space and have God meet you here. Like, I'm blessed by that. I'm blessed to be a part of such people who take it so seriously. Like, we know that just being flippant about our time management, that's not worship, right? That's not worship. We know that leaving early before the last song is done, that's not worship. We know that coming in here to worship and just drinking your coffee and hanging out and talking to your friend and not engaging the worship at all, it's not worship. Like, there's a lot of ways that it can look, but it can't look like that. That's not worship. So, yeah, so I'll leave it there. You guys know this. Like, we're not trying to call you out to only one way of understanding worship. What we are saying is, what we want to do is, at a minimum, make sure that the actions that we are taking, that we are actually worshiping. We're going to move towards the Lord's table right now. We have an open table here. If you would like to celebrate with us the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we invite you to take communion with us. We just ask that you would hold the elements to the end, and we'll take them all together. So we want to we want to end with this last point with the fact that what what if life is so devastating and hard right now that we cannot worship. It feels like we cannot. We have two examples in scripture of guys who could have said that also. The first one is David, and in 2 Samuel 12:20, he had just found out that his child had died. It says then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He then went to his own house, and when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. David, we know, is a man after God's own heart, and yet we also know he made some horrible decisions in his life. So why is he a man after God's own heart? I would offer that maybe, maybe it's because when his world was falling apart, he didn't turn away and isolate from God he pressed in to God. We also have Job. And this, this is right after he found out he had lost all of his wealth and 10 children. It says, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and he worshiped. That's not celebrating kind of worship. That's not joy. There's nothing happy about it. It is gut-wrenching sobbing, grief, sorrow. But it is nonetheless worship. And as we talked about last week, perhaps it is a more beautiful offering of worship because it costs. So you guys know that a couple weeks ago we sent out this all-church email, and I said at the time um, that I believe that these are the two most important sermons that we've ever preached in our church. And I want to help you understand why. Why do I feel so strongly about this whole thing with worship? Like, it's not revolutionary or a new twist or anything like that. Why do I feel like this is so important? Here's why. 2017 felt like being caught in a riptide. 
and I don't know if you guys have ever seen like the being under the water just churned and turned and not being able to get your footing and not being able to get air and just be turning and being beat up by the waves and not being able to stand and not being able to figure it out and not being able to get ahead and not being able to even stop the commotion long enough to breathe like that's what 2017 felt like for a lot of reasons it felt that way uh, and it felt like that across our staff like every staff family could have pointed to this thing where it was like, gosh, our world is falling apart. And, and you know, I know that for some of you, you're going to be like, well, why didn't you guys talk about it? Well, here's why, because it's not my story to tell from the stage. The, these are things that are pretty personal, hard things to share, like families falling apart and extended family problems and kids' medical problems. And, you know, the, it just, it was really super duper hard across the board. And if you were with us for a while, you, you remember, like, there were points along the way where I was like, look, could you guys just pray for our staff? Because this is rough. Like, I've never been a part of anything like this before. And it's been hard. In our own home, we had several really difficult circumstances that happened one after another after another. Um, compound that with the fact that, you know this, every, every marriage has nagging issues that you deal with. Every single one does. They all have really hard issues that they just don't ever seem to really get resolved. They're just things that they choose to live with. For us, because of everything that was going on around us and the circumstances that were happening, even in our own personal worlds that we couldn't control, those nagging issues became really, really big issues. And um, I began to look for jobs outside of the ministry. Because I felt like I could not lead our church with integrity anymore. Not that there wasn't anything immoral going on in our home. But especially from July to December, like I didn't care about the church. I didn't care about the pastoral demands. I didn't care about the people getting saved. I didn't care about the church growing. I didn't care about any of that. Like the win for me, honestly, the win for me was I got out of bed and I got dressed and I came to work today. That's the win. Like we were both in that place where it was just, I, I, and, and in the middle of that, like, People always have opinions about what's going on in the church, and they always have things to say, and that's fine. That's the nature of the beast. It's no big deal. But when I'm in that position, hearing it, it makes it exponentially more difficult to be able to roll with it well. And so I just felt defeated. Like, I can't do this anymore. So I was done. I was done with ministry. I don't know what else I was going to do, but it's like I got to do, do something different. At the same time, uh, we began to have our staff be up in the front row leading worship. Completely disconnected in my mind. Uh, but because we began doing that, I began having to force myself to engage worship intentionally. Here's what it did. Worship saved my marriage. Um, 
because of spending time with God's perspective, God's perspective on my situation, God's perspective on my spouse, God's perspective on my legacy, God's perspective on my convictions. Because of spending time on God's perspective, it allowed me to change how I perceive my wife and how she perceives me. She's no longer the pointed hat riding a broom with claws trying to destroy me. She's a precious child of God who deserves to be loved well whether I believe she's loving me well or not. Now, she's working her own journey. You can ask her about her. We're, I mean, obvi obviously, we're a pretty open book. Um, but I'm not going to speak for her. I just want to speak with her. Uh, just, and just so that you know, before you come out and are like, I don't, do I hug you? Do, what are we, are we going to cry? Like, we're good. We're We're good. M mommy and daddy are good. <laughs> but worship is how we got there. We're not fixed. We're still working through our stuff. We still have things that we're trying to figure out. How do we navigate relationship in a way that honors the Lord? But worship is the way that we're able to do it well. And here's the deal. Men... I want to ask you to do something. Be men and lead your home and lead the charge in worshiping well. By the way, your wife will probably think it's sexy when she sees you worshiping the Lord. That's a win-win. Here's the deal. I know I don't have it all figured out yet, and we're still navigating what it means. Like, I feel a little bit like we're both sitting in this, it was just traumatic. 2017 was just traumatic. And we're sitting in the end of it, looking around going, I don't know what to do. I don't even know what to, how to move forward with what happened. But what I can tell you is, worship is the way that I create space for God to show me how. And so we worship. And we worship hard and loud. And I worship more intimately and more loudly and more expressively than I ever have in my life. And that has made all the difference. It's made all the difference. Like it saved our marriage. Worship saved our marriage. That's not an exaggeration. That's the truth. And so I want to invite you into a space that, like our testimony is, it can transform you. And we want to invite you into that transformative place so that you don't just, you're not just thankful to Jesus for the salvation that he offers, but for the power for living that he gives you every day. It's yours through worship. And I love taking communion as a church family together because it's this call back to say, this is the way 
that we remind ourselves, this is a way that we remind ourselves of how we get to that right mental framework. It's not gonna be because you pushed your own agenda, because you got your own way, because you tried to do your own thing. It's gonna be because you chose to lay your life down in the name of Jesus, and you live the way that he's called you to live, even if it costs you your very life, because it might. And that's not fatalistic, that's just faithfulness. This is a reminder that Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, just given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup, it's a new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Lord, you're worthy. You are worth worshiping. You're worth giving all of our attention. God, thank you for being ever-present. Thank you for being here with us right now. Thank you for the promise of your spirit. Thank you for the, the, the key that worship is to unlock all this potential for your work in our life. Thank you for the invitation to be a part of it. Thank you that you don't abandon us. Thank you that you're never alone, that we never have to figure this out by ourselves. Thank you, God, for everything that you are, even in the midst of really hard times. And God, thank you for the opportunity to tell you how much we love you. Uh, we're gonna do that right now. In your name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.